Hello, again. I'm always so relieved when our clientele find their way back here after we've been on hiatus. As you might understand, it is occasionally necessary for us to do research in shadow, and, well, that's neither here nor there. Here nor there. <laughs> it's strange, isn't it, how sometimes the place in which we are seems so ephemeral. Well, it's the places we've been, or imagine ourselves being, which take the clearest form. Actuality and shadow, wheeling about one another at the crux of the path, engine without end. Was it always this way? Oh, sorry. Look, I'll be honest. I need to restock the shelves. I have no drinks to offer you tonight. Only hollow vessels. But wise friend, won't you please stay a while, just to talk? Greetings, Vizlay. I'm so pleased to be with you here, once again, this time under the piercing light of the cold moon. We meet here in this hidden place to talk about story, what it is, why we need it, how we express it. And obviously, story can take many forms. I love a heart-built book, a movie, a painting, a sculpture. But there's something especially transportative and wondrous to me about interactivity in story. In the language of my indigo profession, a book, for example, is a product, but a game, unless it's too much on rails, is a platform. It's not a thing, it's a kit for the spontaneous creation of a thing at a later time, and by other people. In invisible sun terms, it's a monograph. Good design sets constraints, which guide gameplay, tone, and even culture of that future thing, We've spoken here before about incentives in the design of a rule set or a setting. So there's a very good reason that a D&D story generally feels different than a story that comes from Gumshoe or Invisible Sun or Bluebeard's Bride. But even so, the final experience is authored by the players who gather together in that moment and co-create. This to me is magic. Well, Tonight we have the privilege of peering into the minds of two creators. John Harness and Takuma Okada are game designers, platform builders, monograph scribes, who are at once bold and incredibly thoughtful about what it means to create a space via game design and invite others into it. Time and place, memory, mortality, melancholy, identity, sexuality, and giant robots are all on the menu tonight. It's a frank conversation, and in moments, an adult one, but already IMO, a secret seller classic. There are notable serendipities here. Invisible Sun players may recognize John as Corvo from season one of A Woman with Hollow Eyes, and Takuma appears in the show notes for episode 10 of this show, which was influenced in part by her game Alone in the Ancient City. So, raise a glass, empty though it may be, for new friends that are actually familiar ones. Vizla's Call. So John Harness and Takuma Okada, welcome to The Secret Cellar. Thanks for having me. Howdy. Howdy. It's very good to have both of you. We are going to talk tonight about a thing that you made together along with 
many, many other people from the internet, and I'm very excited about it. But first, John Harness, do you want to tell us a bit about who you are and some of the things that you do when you are doing things elsewhere? <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm John Harness. First of all, you can find me on Twitter at, at @cartwheel. It's misspelled because I was a young homosexual trying to get onto a chat room when I was a child, <laughs> and I had to come up with a word, a name, and so I thought of a memory where I was doing a cartwheel. Adorable. Yeah, I was doing a. I thought of a memory where I learned to do a cartwheel, but then I misspelled it. So it's C A R T W E L. <laughs> that little anecdote will tell you a lot about me, which is that I'm a queer game designer. I think a lot about memory. I'm also a storyteller, so I do sometimes on stage storytelling here in Chicago, where I live, and I'm really obsessed with things like epic poetry. If you want to get me drunk sometime, Ask me about the Odyssey and how I feel about it. <laughs> and then really the reason I'm talking to you is that I've been a longtime tabletop role-playing game player and the last year or so have been really trying to become a indie tabletop role-playing game designer. So some of the games I've made include Welcome to Paradise Baby, which is a game that's theoretically about power dynamics, but is really about blowjobs. And that's on my itch page. We'll talk about itch in a little bit. You can go check that out. I also am working on a game called Power Bottomed by the Apocalypse, which is a punny title for a game where you are a set of adventurers inside of a strange gay sex club. <laughs> there are central themes here, I'm gathering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am very subtle in all things. <laughs> and Takuma, how about you? Hey, yeah, I'm Takuma. I am also a tabletop game designer. I'm also a musician and I do some pixel art on the side and like I do some writing too here and there. I don't, that's not as public usually, but it is out there sometimes. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Takuma underscore Okada underscore. And I also have an itch page at noroadhome.itch.io. And that has a few of my songs, but I also have more music at soundcloud.com slash noroadhome. I'm on podcasts sometimes, and I should probably link those better as a guest on stuff like the RPG Design Friends podcast, or the Wooloo Pod, Women Loving Wednesdays Pod, and uh, an episode of Game Closet. So those are some of the places you can find me on the internet. Oh, yeah. John has one of those also. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you want to hear me talk a lot about blowjobs and my game, Welcome to Paradise, Baby, I have a Game Closet episode all about it. Go check it out. If you don't know what Game Closet is, it's run by Taylor Labreche. It is a podcast for queer game designers to talk about queer game design. It's really good. Mm -hmm. So, first of all... Well, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Oh, it's about... So, one of, my, um, one of my conceptual things that I think a lot about in design is um, topping from the bottom. And so, <laughs> if you think you're going to run this podcast, you are not. Because... <laughs> Because I'm running it now. Um, so, Takuma, how did you, where did the name No Road Home come from? Um, oh, I have this sort of explained on my Patreon a little better. I should remember to plug that more. That's patreon.com slash No Road Home, <laughs> where I make things and put them up for people who give me money every month so they can have those things for cheaper. But uh, No Road Home is sort of about me not being able to find like a steady place. I moved around a lot and always sort of feel unsettled. Oh, this is kind of this weird state of what I am as an immigrant, as a trans person, as this weird mix of identities that 
kind of make me feel adrift in a whole mess of whatever life is a lot. And that's kind of where that's come from. The first place that I ever ran into you or your work was from purchasing Alone in the Ancient City. And part of what I loved about it was its wandering melancholy, which also sounds a lot like some of the things you just described. Yeah, that's kind of the recurring theme of my stuff, I think. It tends to be melancholic. (laughs) A lot of my games have a very strong sense of place. That's other people's words, not mine. Yeah, I, I have really strong memories of places that I've been to and where I've lived. And I like to put those things into games so that I have them for myself and that I can share them with other people. It's interesting to hear you in one breath talk about how hard it is to find a road home in actual life and then the fact that places and memories are so strong for you Yeah, in the next breath. That's part of it because I'm like pulled in all these directions with connection here, but I've only been here for a couple years out of my life or five, five years out of my life or maybe even only a couple months or a couple weeks, but I have these strong memories of it and I, I feel something being here, but at the same time, I don't belong here in the same way that the other people around me do. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to talk about belonging because I, I think that that has to do with some of my work too, because on one level, yeah, my games are about blowjobs and stuff like that. haha. But on the other hand, I try to take experiences that I've had, very deep and meaningful experiences, sexual experiences, experiences of queer community or queer spaces, things like that. And I try to make them in a way that it's sort of like I can kind of transmit a memory or some part of a memory into someone else to be like, you know, hey, you might never be like at a glory hole in a dank, dark, gay sex club, but actually there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. And I want you to know about it because I think it's both joyful and ecstatic and politically motivating and all of these things. And like, here's this like tiny little nugget of it that I can try my best to sort of have you get to know through me trying to replicate that. That was long-winded. What I'm trying to say is that I think it's also about these sort of fleeting memories of places that aren't like my house. And it's not like where I grew up in rural Missouri. It's not that sort of stuff. It's these like little flashes of a place and a time and a sense of an atmosphere Mm -hmm. and trying to get that across. I spent my early 20s just wandering around in New York City. And for me, whenever I start getting melancholic and like drifting and dreaming, it's always right back to those same really magical, fleeting, strange places (laughs) in the middle of that city Mm -hmm. from a different time that were in some ways much more real than a lot of what actually is my real life as far as how my memories work and how I'm formed. Jason, what do you think about giant robots? Yeah, so giant robots. So I remember bumping into a tweet somewhere along the way. I think it was from you, John, that was just like something, something and like sad mechs and I don't know, and we should do this. (laughs) And I just remember the sad mech part struck me because I like all things melancholy and I don't normally think of mechs as melancholy and that juxtaposition just kind of captured me. And then some days or weeks went by and then all of a sudden there was a thing that was happening out there and it was about sad mechs. And I was like, I really didn't think sad mechs were like that much of a big thing. But now I've heard about this twice in the last two weeks. I should look into it. And then I realized that, in fact, the thing that was happening was the thing that you had created with that tweet. So um, what what is all of this? What's going on? Uh, yeah, so this story will only make sense to your listeners if they know what itch.io is. So I'm going to tell you what itch.io is. All right. So itch.io is, I think of it as the band camp of video games. But a lot of people don't know what Bandcamp is. 
So <laughs> it's like the iTunes of, I don't know, this metaphor that breaks down. It's a little website where, for most of its history, indie video game designers have put up little games to be downloaded. So, you know, a $10 game, a free game, whatever, or little assets to make games with and that sort of stuff. A very small scale place to sell video games. It has hosted for a long time these things called game jams, where somebody throws out a time period, say a week or a month, throws out some sort of theme like broccoli or office work or Sundays or whatever. And then people would come and try to make some sort of game on that theme during that time period. And it's a way to sort of get people being creative, to sort of test out prototypes, to engage with a little community of people who are all drawn to the same theme, that sort of stuff. I knew about this because I was absolutely dabbling in video game design, just as a sort of hobbyist. And I found this whole world of game jams on itch, and I thought they were really interesting. So then the tweet you're talking about, I think, is one day I was up manically at four in the morning or something, and I had this idea for a game that I pitched in this tweet, something like, hey, I'm going to make a game where you have to go clean out the cockpit of your dead lover's Gundam. Something like that. I found it. Aha, you found it. Let's see. 18 January 2019. Going to make a sad one-player mech game called Here in Your Arms, and it's about driving your lover's Gundam. Aha, see, I even forgot the actual idea of it. Yes, that was the name. That came to me like in the bathroom (laughs) one day, In Your Arms, as uh, the name for a mech jam, for a mech game, a giant robot game. Right, right. I was still relatively new to sort of game designer Twitter, although I'd met a bunch of people at cons and had been to a few conventions, things like that. And at the time, that became my most liked tweet. I don't mean that it went viral by any means, but that tweet became my most passed around tweet. And I was like, hey, something's happened here. People are into this. This idea of a sort of melancholy game about giant robots like has some legs to it. So I thought about it for a little bit, and I talked to a few people, and they were sort of encouraging to sort of pursue this idea somehow. So I had just met Takuma. I can't even remember how we met. How did we meet? Uh, Maybe I found Alone in the Stars and then followed you and we started talking. I think that's what happened. Yeah, something like that. Because I remember there being a conversation around when Taylor had me on Game Closet asking for questions. And then maybe a little before that. It's it's been a while, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, how all this happened, it's sort of blurry in my memory. But mm-hmm. um, long story short, I asked Takuma if she would come on board and be my sort of co-leader for this little thing on itch.io. And let me be very clear. When I started this, I thought I would like throw this idea out there. Maybe 20 people would sign up. Maybe five actual products would be made. We would bundle them all together into something and we would sell it as like a bundle on itch and everybody would make a few bucks. That's what I thought it was. I thought it was, you know, just a tiny little thing. Oh boy, I was incorrect because this was such a like success that we ended up having around 180 submissions, not people signed up, submissions, actual games that you could play. And if you go to itch.io and type in emotional mecha game jam, which is what I actually called it, then you can see all of these games that are still there that you can still interact with and look through. But we quickly settled on the hashtag, hashtag SadMechJam, and that's really what it became known as, and that's what everybody still calls it. And it was wild. You talked video games, which is how I had known of itch.io, but there's all kinds of things, and a lot of them are story-based games where there's just even a little beautifully produced one-page 
lovely inspiration for a game that two people can play sitting at a table with nothing else except them together and their imaginations or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. It really captivated me because I was I thought the bar the technical, not the creative, but like the technical bar to entry was like, oh, well, I don't know how to make a video game, so I wouldn't have anything uh, to contribute to itch. And I loved discovering how wrong I was. I have not made anything yet, but I will. Yeah, yeah. Itch, I think so far, has thought of itself as a video game space that just sort of also was like, you know, but you can upload anything and we're not going to stop you. That's my sort of sense of it. So there have been, before Sad Mac Jam, um, some people who really were sort of charting out what they were calling sort of physical games. But a lot of those were like board games and things that were on there. As a result of Sad Mech Jam, somebody who wasn't me did the math and figured out that the number of physical games on Itch rose by 10% as a result of Sad Mech Jam. And I thought that was wild. Oh, that was... I think I did that math. Ha <laughs> Thank you. I'm looking at the page now. I want to just read some of the specific details. So this is Emotional Mecha Jam on itch.io. It ran from January 28th, 2019 at 4.31 p.m. to February 12th, 2019 at 10.59 p.m. So, you know, two weeks-ish. 177 entries. Yeah, some of, the, some of those details have changed over time. I actually extended it by a week, not only because several people had said, I want to be able to finish my game, but I might not be able to, but also because I myself was doing so much like talking about it on Twitter and different stuff like that, that I hadn't finished my game yet. And so I was like, wait, I'm in charge. I can extend it. So then I extended it for a week. Nice. So this was all by the seat of our pants. We were figuring all of this literally as we went. Mm -hmm. Do not think that this was some grand plan I had that unfolded like clockwork. No, no. <laughs> the Secret Seller is generously sponsored by Gamers Giving, a Denver area nonprofit by gamers, for gamers in need. Donations to the group are distributed to gamers in the community who have experienced something catastrophic and need a hand. I just learned that the group has a quarterly newsletter. To sign up, tap this banner or find the link in the show notes. Just one more way to support Gamers Giving. You can also find them online at facebook.com gamersgiving. I'm so grateful for their ongoing support. I ended up buying about 10 of these, just sort of based on recommendations from Twitter. I'm just going to read randomly from the list of these games. Just the titles are so evocative. What Will I Do When You're Gone? Okay, that wasn't random. That's actually Takomas. Uh, we Made Them Look Like Us. Also yours. Uh, <laughs> all My Exes Are In Mech Suits. As Above, Lovers In Free Fall, Slash Dot Become One Dot Slash. Link linked acceptable losses memory slash drift we pass under legends death sentence alone in the station remnants ghost squadron life in the machine ah yeah yeah it's also it's also lovely <laughs> I think my favorite title is DC a well known game designer came up with the name plot armor which I thought was a great name mm -hmm. and uh, Taylor yeah. Labresh who we've already mentioned friend of the show came up with. Breakup on Reentry, which is about having a breakup. Oh. I, I thought those were great titles for things. It's great. So since we can't talk about all of them, uh, why don't you each pick your game or one of your games and tell me about them and what you put together? Yeah, so I had two entries as I was working on this. The first game, What Will I Do When You're Gone? I'd already had the idea for that when you made that tweet. 
that's why we started talking about this, I think. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And um, I'd been listening to actually Waypoint's end of the year Battletech coverage and how they were talking about how it's super easy for a pilot to just get killed if you're unlucky, um, if you have a bad roll of the dice behind the scenes, as it were. And how obviously these mechs are going to last way longer than the fragile humans inside. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what happens when you have this squad and they have these certain mechs and some of them are way easier to get killed in than others because they're, you know, close range or lightweight or whatever. And what sort of tensions might arise when you have a squad of people and oh this this one person's been here for years but this other person is a new recruit and they might not even last three weeks so that is the game that came to mind while i was listening to that and that i wanted to make for this jam and actually i can go off on we made them look like us real quick which is that i started hrt while the jam was going on i just had this like ridiculous sense of euphoria walking out of that planned parenthood wow and I just knocked this game out the rest of the day. For context and for my listeners, would you mind giving a brief explanation of both Euphoria and HRT, if that's something you're willing to do? Oh, yeah, totally. Of course. HRT is hormone replacement therapy, and it is, I believe, used for menopausal women as well. But in this context, it is what transgender people use to change their bodies in a way that more fits their self-image. HRT doesn't make a trans person, but it is an option for trans people to go through. And I really, really wanted to... Actually, part of this game is I started realizing more and more that this was a thing that I wanted after I was actually able to start. So the game is about your mech, which is this representation of an idealized version of yourself. And that is what you are piloting. And the mech is called the Human Renaissance Testament (laughs) to have the same letters as HRT. Yeah, it's about being comfortable in your own body. And it's a LARP. So, you know, it's taking things that make you feel good about your gender, whether that's clothing or HRT or, you know, maybe a song and putting those into your real life and imagining you're in this idealized version of yourself as armor against the world. Thank you. A thing that I've noticed just looking through a lot of these is so often in your typical just like a shoot 'em up game armor is always a thing to protect you from physical damage but it's interesting the ways in which armor can be a safe place that you can be yeah. inside of <laughs> emotional armor mental armor you know for things that maybe aren't necessarily physical but you need protection from anyway mm-hmm. Maybe I'll just, on this topic of themes, talk a little bit more about some of the themes I saw come out of out of all this. And I think to do that, I need to back up a little bit. This started with this tweet, right? And it sort of obviously hit a nerve, and then we, we did it. And I, even though it's called hashtag sad mech jam, I ch- was trying at the beginning to make it clear that I was interested in all kinds of emotions that had to do with what to be most vague about it, I've been calling the giant robot genre. Um, and for those of you do, who don't know, this is like a a relatively well-established genre within anime and manga. Um, you know, there are more or less humanoid robots that have more or less human pilots who often are literally inside of this sort of giant suit of armor, and they go off and fight battles. And you said earlier during this conversation that you hadn't really thought about these this genre as having to do with emotions. And I think that that's a lot of people's thought about it, but 
On the other hand, many people who are familiar with the genre think, like I do, that it's all about emotions. Mm-hmm. My entree to the genre was Gundam Wing, which has many lovers and many haters, which is about five essentially sort of freedom fighter and or terrorists, young boys who are trained from a young age, basically turned into child soldiers, forced into these giant suits, and then have to go blow up military installations, right? Mm -hmm. Which sounds like an action movie, but so much of that show is them talking melancholically to each other, looking out at each other across space. There's just these cuts from one of them sort of crying in a mech suit to another one of them sort of looking up at the stars. I was, of course, watching all of this at the time that I was figuring out that I was gay and all of this stuff, so that it really imprinted on me a lot of ideas about the world and how much I wanted to bang a giant robot. But this is why I think it took off, is because actually this genre, which seems to be all about, ah, guns, explosions, battles, space, yeah, actually has all of this sort of emotional stuff baked in. And so as you look through the many, many games that people made, you see that people took up these themes and took them in various directions. So even though it became hashtag sad mech jam, really not all of the games are sad per se, although I would say many of them have a kind of dark or melancholy aspect to them. But plenty of them are very happy or or are very sort of like uh, gonzo, right? Um, one of the games is called Name That Mech! You know, like some sort of game show. There's one called Get In The Fucking Robot! and Mecha Britcom, and stuff like that, right? So the, the emotional kind of bandwidth of the genre is in full force here in the different games people have made, and I think that's really great. And then as a part of that, people are taking all of the sort of metaphorical language or the metaphorical, well, let's say the tropes that are in the genre and inflecting those in different metaphorical emotional directions. So you have, as we were just talking about, people talking about armor as a way to protect themselves, but there are other people talking about armor as, as like a cage that, say, child soldiers are forced into, you know, a kind of trap, a kind of mask. The games take these things in all these different kinds of directions, themes about war and peace, about safety, about colonialism, about all these things. And that's one of the more exciting things to me is that now people are like, wow, I didn't really think about emotions in Sad Magazine. And I'm like, there are so many emotions there. Go look at all these emotions. I have 177 emotions for you to go check out. That's great. Which I thought was great. It is. Yeah. It was nice being so naive about all of it because I don't have much context for Anima Minga. You know, it's like, oh, I saw Pacific Rim. You know, it's like I don't have right. uh, sort of the, the broader texture and history of this as a genre. and this project that I bumped into has made me curious about it. And so it's been really fun to kind of explore that a little. So thank you for that too. Mm-hmm. I just want to hear a little from each of your perspective. You've both moved more and more toward wanting to be game designers and storytellers in different form, but why these types of stories? What is the biggest thing that you're trying to do either for yourself or for the people who encounter these games or stories as you create? I mean, what, John was talking about earlier with the um, very specific flash of memory. I used to do a lot of, I mean, I still do some theater, but I used to do a lot more and I used to do a lot of improvisational theater and comedy. And I was especially a fan of process, which it's not improv comedy. It's, it's more long form. Like the end goal of it is to make a complete satisfying one act play completely improvised using all of these exercises to build up your ability to have these natural reactions to what is going on on the stage Mm. 
And my first game was very much taking an exercise that I learned in that process and turning it into a game about, you know, finding stuff on the beach. And I sort of took that forward where I was looking for, oh, this mechanic makes me feel a similar way when it plays out as this experience I had, or these prompts specifically are, oh, I I remember this one place when I was sitting on that hill, or I, I remember what my friend looked like as we were sitting there, or, oh, this was an unusually warm day. That's strange. I should put that in there as a thing that'll set off a feeling or an emotion. And yeah, I did see a thing <laughs> somewhat recently about games that try to make people feel like they've had a significant experience even though they actually haven't and how that is a danger of this kind of design um and that is something that i've been contemplating lately but i do want people to be able to experience these things Hmm. that i have had a strong emotional resonance with and that i think other people have in common just that maybe they don't think about them that much isn't wouldn't that be true of all of art creating though? I mean there's of course there's you know it's always dangerous if you utterly fundamentally mix fantasy with reality like right. oh I read your book so therefore I know you. I know who you are. Well no. Or like oh I played this game so now I know what it's like to have experienced. Well no. But like yeah any form of art that is evocative and powerful and human stirs things up, you know? It's empathy and it's communication and if I experience something in your game that reminds me of something that maybe was inspired by what you went through, but it really reminds me of something I went through, but there's still a connection between us. I don't know. I hope you don't stop making experiences like that, but definitely keep considering. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Always be careful. Always be careful with what you make because sometimes it can hurt people. And that is is a thing that every creator must keep in mind. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. That reminds me of what I was talking about a little earlier about me trying to take these experiences I've had and get other people to have them. And I'm coming at it from a very specific angle, which is I want you to have a little bit of this experience because I think this experience is better than yours (laughs) and I want to infect you with it. Hmm. You know, I think a lot about the politics of infection. Part of this comes from my reading about the legacy and art of the AIDS crisis, things like that. Mm -hmm. Hey, I think that there's a lot of bad stuff about heterosexuality. And you know what has taught me other ways of being is like gross, snotty BJs in a in a bathhouse. <laughs> so here's this game I've made. Uh, and I am, if not infecting you, giving you this experience so that it will change the way you're approaching. And I, I know that that's a specific, like, almost tactical goal of mine is that sort of thing. Yeah. Is that being very effective? I don't know. How many people have actually played my snotty blowjob game? I think the answer is zero. Zero people, I think, have played that game. So, who knows? Well, thank you both so much. My early rose-tinted memories of the internet were very much like what I saw here, (laughs) which was different people coming from all over the place together individually, but then as a big group on this huge thing with this sort of verve and inspiration behind it. And just produce something beautiful. And it felt to me a lot like that because I think for so long that has not been my experience of Twitter and like the internet in general. (laughs) It really captured some collective human momentum that just made me happy for days and days on end, watching people talk about what they were going to do and then actually do it. And then 
being able to get a bunch of the games and have sat and read and relished many of them with great joy. And so I just wanted to thank you for being in the right place at the right time and seizing it and coming together with both of your creative selves and making it happen. It was really, really lovely. Can I really briefly tell you about one other aspect of sort of right place, right time and how that affected this whole situation? Absolutely. (laughs) This is going to be a little inside baseball about RPG land, but people in various small RPG design communities all lived on Google+. And right around the time that said Mac Jam was going to happen, that's when Google Plus had officially closed down. And so a lot of people in the RPG world were sort of looking around for where will we all go next? Like, where's the next hub? You know, there's Twitter. Twitter has been a sort of a constant in this, but where are we all going to have our sort of new community spaces? That hit Invisible Sun fans pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't think that Itch has in any way like become the one true answer to that question, but a ton of people, because of said Mech Jam, got themselves set up on Itch uh, for the purpose of publishing something for said Mech Jam. And so there were tabletop and board game people on Itch before said Mech Jam, but there's a ton more of them there after that. And after said Mech Jam, um, a bunch of people started doing other jams, and there's been a sort of cynically a bubble, uncynically or charitably a, a sort of <laughs> series of excitement around the idea of a game jam on itch. Going back to right place, right time, said mech jam just happened to be at the right place at the right time to sort of be a bridge for a bunch of people looking for somewhere to go to find itch. And so now if you're interested in all this stuff and you're kind of like, where do we go? There are many places percolating for there to be RPG discourse and community happening. But now itch .io is definitely one of the places. There's now, basically because of said Mac Jam and the intervention of several people, including DC, there's now a tabletop gaming forum on itch.io, etc. Oh, yeah. So oh, rad. that was sort of, I think, another one of the reasons that this became such a like whirlwind of a thing. That, by the way, we forgot to mention, we made $2,000 for Trans Lifeline and Rain, the sexual assault hotline. Because when we had so many people involved, the math for, hey, we're going to make a little bundle, we're going to make a little zine and try to sell it for a few dollars, the math started to not work. Totally. So um, Takuma and I had to sit down and we like brainstormed about how are we going to do this. So we decided to do a charity bundle. So yeah. that's what we did. So Great. several hundred people donated and we made $2,000 and did it. So that was a wild ride that whole part of it. Well, thank you both so much for your time. It's really lovely to sit and talk with you. I hope I have more opportunities to do this with you again. And uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Look forward to seeing what else you make. Thank Thank you. so happy that Takuma and John crossed paths with each other, and then each with me, and then that they were both generous to stop by and share their thoughts with you tonight. If you found all of this as fascinating as I did, please do pay a visit to the Emotional Mecha Jam page on Itch, and peruse the titles, maybe buy one or a few. Now, I have a specific request tonight for Invisible Sun players. Now that the actuality has had time to propagate in our minds, imaginations, (laughs) bookshelves, now that we've learned a little more about the creatures and inhabitants and settings beneath the multiplicity of suns, will you do me a favor? Will you write to me? 
We are nearing episode 17, the end of our first circuit of the path together. I have a new feature coming in 2020, and I want to know which sun resonates most with you and why. Dayside? Nightside? Which sun haunts you? Have you learned anything about yourself as you've reflected upon it, or perhaps as your visle have stood beneath its light? Be as brief or as detailed as you like. I will read and respond to every note I receive, and although I won't share any of it publicly without first seeking your permission, I may contact you with further questions as I compile and prepare for season two of the show. Please do write. You can email me at meet.me at zeros.bar or DM or at me on Twitter at underscore secret seller underscore. Well, it's closing time. If you are a celebrator of holidays in this season, I hope you find warmth and joy in the ritual. If this time is made more difficult for you because of the holidays, I'm sorry. My love goes out to you, and I wish you peace in the company of friends. If this is just December in your world, I hope it's a stellar December. Consider creating a new adventure this month that makes it a memorable one. Oh, and imports of this type are a tricky business, but next time you stop in, we'll be sure to have some element and libation on hand once again. Audio design for The Secret Cellar is by Casey Ross. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games, with whom Zeros.Bar and The Secret Cellar are unaffiliated. May you find freedom, my friends, from shadow. <laughs>